Let's Rub Out Britain, the Tijuana Brass, and I'm Meg Rowley, and on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome to the program Fangraphs contributor Ben Clemens. Ben offers to you, the listener, a chance to get to know him as we explore his roots in Tennessee and later in finance, his fandom for the St. Louis Cardinals, his approach to baseball writing and watching, and the picayune concerns of a cross-country move. We also express collective surprise and dismay at the early season performance of Jackie Bradley Jr., which has been quite poor, and joint delight at the exploits of Joey Gallo. All of that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the monthly cost of the large soda you shouldn't drink before watching Avengers Endgame, you can support all the great work at Fangraphs, including Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel's coverage of the upcoming MLB draft, Dan Zimborski, Jay Jaffe, and Craig Edwards on early season trends, both macro and micro, and the work of the aforementioned Ben Clemens, whose articles were described to me by one front office type as good. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy Fangraphs without banner ads, facilitating faster loading times. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Ben Clemens, Fangraphs contributor, which begins right now. So here we go. We're recording now. Ben, I'm so excited that you're you're joining the podcast. Uh, me too. People are going to be like, which Ben is this? Because there, there are a lot of Bens. So many baseball Bens. It's a great baseball name. It's a great baseball name. But you are Ben Clemens. That's and who you're you are. you're Meg Rowley? Yeah. Uh, Dylan, yeah. maybe we should take that again. That was pretty bad. No, Sorry. no, it was great. We're going to leave that part in. <laughs> I, I told you before we started that we could take anything out, but I'm going to leave that one in because it's fine. And you're a recently new contributor to Fangraphs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think a month and a half, maybe. Yeah. So I thought that we would have you on so that our readers can get to know you, the the one true Ben. <laughs> Sorry, Ben Lindbergh, my other podcast co-host, because it's nice for people to know who you are. And we, I thought we'd, we'd talk about you and we'd talk a little baseball and then uh, we kind of see where it goes. Sounds good. Sounds good. So Ben, tell us about yourself. <laughs> Um, sure. You're, you're Ben. You've been writing for Fangraphs for about a month and a half. Where were you before Fangraphs, Ben? So I came to Fangraphs. Writing-wise, I used to write for Viva Alberta's, a Cardinals blog. It's also where Craig Edwards came from. Uh, yeah. Audrey Stark wrote there as well. Yeah. More life-wise, though, I... <laughs> have, uh, I've taken a little bit of a career change of late. Sure. So... I guess I could say, like yourself, I felt the call of finance out of college, but unlike you, I was a lot worse at getting out of it. Yeah, you you heeded that siren song for much longer than I did. Yeah, so I, until recently, worked at a hedge fund, and before that, I worked at a bank, and before that, I worked at another bank, and that had kind of been my whole adult life. Yeah, I'm, I'm 33, and this is kind of the first job I've had that hasn't been, like, pretty much specifically interest rate trading related. So it's a pretty big change. <laughs> do you like this better? Uh, I do. <laughs> I, there was a lot to like about that job as well. I mean, I don't, sure. don't want to say bad things, but uh, I kind of enjoy my life a little bit more now. Yeah, I, I had the experience when I was working in finance of, of working all the time and feeling like I had to work all the time. And now I still work a lot, but I get to work a lot doing baseball stuff, which is 
great fun because baseball is great fun, which is a good way of saying that you like this without denigrating the other thing. Yeah. So it's it's nice when you get to when you're a person who likes baseball and then you get to think about baseball stuff. Yeah, it's especially great because the thing that I probably liked most about my last job was getting to analyze things. And that's basically what I'm doing now. Yeah. So what the things I'm analyzing are has changed. And I mean, it's baseball, which is awesome. Yeah. But that's always been really fun. And I like that I keep getting to do that. Yeah. So to to remind our listeners, because you've been already in your brief time at Fangraphs quite prolific in your in your writing, which is just great because, you know, we have so many things to analyze. You you have written about, for instance, today on Fangraphs.com, we are, we are recording this on a Thursday, uh, so it'll still be there for people to read tomorrow, but it will be less prominently featured. You wrote about how shortstops as a, as a positional group are hitting like they never have before. So you wrote about that. That's the thing yeah. you wrote about. You wrote about, I think, perhaps one of my favorite early posts of yours was when you did an analysis of what opt-outs are worth. From a from a dollar's perspective, because I don't think we had a good solid answer on that. Yeah, I mean, we still don't, but maybe we a little more solid now. A little more solid now. You have taken a tour through any number of fun and interesting uh, individual player or players, early season trends. Because this is, I don't know if you have this experience. I really like baseball writing this time of year, understanding that we don't really know anything because the sample sizes are so small, but you just get to delight in in little weird bits of business and everyone understands that it might not mean anything. So they just give you a pass for writing about it. Yeah, it's pretty great. I remember um, maybe two weeks ago, Jay Jaffe wrote a bunch of early season standout stats into one article. Yeah. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, that was like six articles I was going to write. <laughs> Yeah, you you have instead had to um, make do with writing about, say, Pete Alonzo, and he is hitting the ball very hard, and also Trevor Bauer, who is pitching backwards quite a bit. I think that was your conclusion. You wrote about Victor Robles and how he just won't stop bunting. He just won't <laughs> stop. How do you feel about that? Should he stop bunting? Is that your opinion? I have to say, I think the bunt is a really exciting play. And Say more about that. I'm not a Nats fan, so I'm happy with it. I mean, sure. every time he bunts, you have no idea what will happen. He, right. he bunted a ball into the outfield. Just, that doesn't yeah. really happen. No. Sometimes he bunts the ball directly at a first baseman, you know, in a matchup where he's Victor Robles and he's getting to bat against the Marlins, which is, you know, basically the best position you can be in as a hitter. Yeah. Yeah, you would think that you would just, at that point, you just swing away because why not just, just swing away? What would you say, this is a question I have not prepared you for, and so if you need to take a moment to think about it, and then we will have Dylan edit out all the dead air, and maybe this part too, but maybe not, because uh, I like to keep people on their toes. If you were to pick a favorite baseball play, this is a very personal question, I realize I'm asking you, but you know, this is a getting to know you episode, so that's what we're going to do. What would, your, what would you say your favorite baseball play is? Because it sounds like bunting entertains you. What else? Oh, what else? I actually you get? have a, a really specific answer because oh, it's the first thing that made me want to start writing about baseball. Oh, say more about that. So this is a play from 2016. I think it's from 2016. Yeah, it must be. So it was early in the year, maybe May or June. And it was a like kind of meaningless-ish early season Cardinals game. And it was right when Aledmus Diaz had just kind of first burst onto the scene so he was no one really knew that much about him and he was just hitting a billion and every ball he put in play was landing for a hit and he was very mysterious like he wasn't even covered on prospect reports and all of a sudden he was like maybe 
had the most war of any shortstop in baseball. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. And he got a he got to a three zero count. I can't even remember who he was facing. And he had never like in his whole career, which was short, never swung at a three zero pitch. And the announcers mentioned it. And I mean, I had seen some of his previous three zero pitches, and he just had the bat on his shoulder. And so the pitcher just gave him a complete pipe shot, like directly down the middle, like slow. And he just hit a home run. He swung. He was looking to swing the whole time. And I just thought, ah, that, that's really crazy because they were right. Like he had never swung before 3-0. So like, why did he start doing it this time? Right. It was just kind of neat. And I was like, I wonder how how you'd think about this. Like, are there statistics about this? Like, why would he do it? Like, is he generally like taking a ton of pitches and hitters counts? And it kind of took me from, oh, baseball is really cool. And I like reading about it to, oh, I wonder if I could do some of my own analysis. Ah. What a what a fun little revelatory moment. Do you think that you would have arrived at baseball writing even if he had just taken that pitch and not tried to hit a home run? <laughs> that pitch might have changed the course of your life. That is a pretty good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, probably. I really do like writing. Yeah. And analyzing things. And I don't know, baseball is a pretty good thing to analyze because you just get a ton of data. Yeah. So you would have ended up there anyway, even if it hadn't been a home I mean, run. Maybe. Probably, but not for sure. So, yeah. It's very discon- Yeah, it's very disconcerting to think about those moments in a writer's life because you have to fixate on how much randomness there is in the course of, you know, human events and the human events that matter the most to you. And then I think it makes you understand religion a little bit better. But uh, <laughs> so you you are a Cardinals fan. How did you come to be a Cardinals fan? Did you grow up in the Midwest in St. Louis or? Uh, so my dad did. Ugh. And I grew up in Tennessee. There's not a lot of baseball in Tennessee. I mean, no. I was in East Tennessee. So people are Braves fans. But I mean, they weren't really. We had a Blue Jays minor league team in town. So to some extent, people like the Blue Jays, but for the most part, you just rooted for who your parents rooted for. Sure. And I don't know, it was just pretty easy to like the Cardinals. My dad is a big baseball fan and was really into the history, and I really liked watching Ozzie Smith play, so it was just pretty conveniently timed with the Cardinals being fun to watch and me wanting to follow sports. And you didn't become a um, a college baseball fan? I suppose you could have decided to become a, a, a big uh, Vandy fan, for instance. Um, you know... I actually, so I lived really close to University of Tennessee, mm. and I saw Todd Helton play in college. It was pretty That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, my dad taught there for a while, actually, and so we used to get to go to games for free. And I don't really know why I didn't start following college baseball. Like, you know, you hear people talk about it, and it sounds very interesting. It just never kind of, like, caught me. Well, you can come to it late in life or later in life. I mean, we're not so old, you and I, but like you can come to it later in life. I didn't really start watching much college baseball in earnest until, uh, well, I've watched a fair amount this year. The uniforms will make you mad. That's my (laughs) my dominant experience of college baseball is uh, the catching is quite poor a lot of the time and the uniforms are often really terrible. But other than that, well, so you grew up in Tennessee, you grew up in Tennessee, a Cardinals fan, and then you moved to New York and you wound your way through finance and then you realized that you didn't need to do that anymore. And uh, and now you're in the process of a big move. Uh, yeah. In the process <laughs> is like definitely the right way to say it. I feel like every time I Slack with you, a big part of our Slack conversation goes, so I'm going to be on a plane or at a storage unit or in a part of the country (laughs) that is not to be disclosed. And uh, so just do whatever you want, edit-wise, with the piece that I wrote. (laughs) 
Uh, I mean, that that's basically been it. I mean, this is the most I've ever moved around in a like sustained period in my whole life. But so starting at the beginning of April, I went to San Francisco for a week. Then I went back to New York for two weeks, then back to San Francisco for a week, then back to New York for five days. Now I'm back in San Francisco. And not only that, but in different Airbnbs in San Francisco, because I, oh, I have an apartment here, but the lease hasn't started yet. So it, <laughs> it is, uh, it's very um, like mentally disconcerting Yeah, because I still have an apartment in New York. The lease isn't over yet, but I don't really live there anymore. And I do live here in San Francisco now. My wife has a job here. That's like, your place. We live here. Yeah. yeah. You but, are a resident. <laughs> but I've yet to, you know, unpack a suitcase or have a bed that's mine or anything like that. So it is very confusing. Yeah. You're not yet. I mean, I imagine you're not yet a, a registered voter. You're probably still searching for a good coffee spot. There are many, but you haven't found yours yet. Yeah, exactly. There are a lot here. So in the in the course of having to do these cross-country moves, how much baseball viewing are you able to really do? I watch a good amount. I probably watch, you know, parts of two or three games most days. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say the whole game, but I'll usually watch, well, it kind of depends whether I'm on the East Coast or West Coast. Sure. On the West Coast, it's great because I'll just have baseball on in the background during the day. Yeah. That's really nice. That's oh, you're, a, you're about to have such a great time with that. It is it is really lovely to be able to watch day baseball, like starting quite early in the day sometimes. I mean, there was day baseball on like, it felt like practically when I got up today. That's not true, but it felt like it. Uh, and then like the evening games end at a reasonable time. Yeah, that's a, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, like, your whole, your whole life's about to change. a lot of Mets games last year. My wife's mm -hmm. a Mets fan and their broadcast is great. Yeah. And, you know, if they were on the West Coast, it was just no shot. You were yeah. just not watching them. Yeah. And it's kind of nice to be able to watch essentially whatever you want. I'm getting a lot more taste for, like, which broadcasts I like and which teams I like watching, which teams have fun players, whereas before you were kind of at the mercy of who was playing on the East Coast. Sure. Do you find that you still uh, – do you still consider yourself to be a Cardinals fan Oh yeah, definitely. You're, so you're still invested in the outcome of the team. So how are you how are you splitting your time between Cardinals viewing and the rest of the field? So the Cardinals announcing <laughs> I don't want to be like super direct, but it's not my favorite. Sure. And so I watch a lot of Cardinals games when I like the away broadcasters. Okay. But I mean so much of my life Growing up, MLB TV didn't exist, right. and I never lived anywhere where you could actually get Cardinals games. So I'm pretty used to following them without like consuming every game. Got it. So like I try to watch Cardinals Brewers games and Cardinals Cubs games to the extent that I can because those are fun and you know they feel like they really matter. And I'll watch you know I watch the Cardinals Dodgers series pretty much in its entirety because I like watching the Dodgers. They're pretty cool. Yep. But I shied away generally from trying to watch all of them just because you can't spend 162 games listening to those guys and i don't know keep the kind of like even keeled demeanor that i want to to watch baseball right right it, it it is an odd thing balancing that both the fandom versus whatever objectivity you want to have as a writer and then also just knowing that you can only watch so much 
And uh, I think part of the the thing that I hope people find uh, useful at Fangraphs is that we will find things to say before others maybe realize they are relevant to say. And it's hard to do that if you're only watching one team, because then you get you, you get very into the minutia of the one team uh, and quite caught up in in the, that team's narratives. But you can sometimes lose the the forest for those very particular trees if you if you do that. Yeah, one thing that I've really enjoyed so far this year is. Until now, I, I mean, I wrote last year only about the Cardinals. And I mean, you wrote about the Mariners for a while, right? Yep. Yep. It's a very different feeling yeah. when you're like, like every other article is, you know, this sixth inning reliever could pitch in the seventh or like, right. you know, you might think this guy is the seventh best third baseman in baseball, but he's the fifth. Right. Like yes. you really have to focus on these things that aren't like superlative right. because how many superlative things are there going to be about one team? There might be some, but there won't be that many. Right. I wrote about the 2015 Mariners, so there were very few. <laughs> I was yeah. I was in deep on the 2015 Mariners, and it was rough. It was rough, uh, rough little bit of time. <laughs> yeah, so I think that uh, it's been really refreshing to kind of get to look at anything. Right. Yeah, you get to you get to widen the lens, and I think it does make you appreciate the things that are good about your favorite team more. Uh, in some respects, because, you know, for instance, like perhaps you would watch a, a Mariners game and you'd be like, wow, this Mariners defense is really bad. It's really bad. Maybe my favorite team's defense is less bad than this. And then you're like, that's that's good for them. It makes them more enjoyable to watch. Yeah. There's also some capacity to be surprised that you didn't have before. Right. Like if you follow the stats every game because you're looking for an article on, you know, the same 25 guys every week. Nothing's going to surprise you because you knew all the things. Right. Whereas you might say now, last week I looked up and Jordan Hicks is just like, he's great now. Yeah. I kind of knew that. Like I've watched him pitch, but I didn't just realize how good he'd been. Right. And that just wouldn't have been possible if I was trying to write two or three articles a week about the Cardinals. Yeah. He is He is doing quite well. Let's let's talk about these Cardinals in in greater detail for a second. You you picked them as part of our uh, preseason staff predictions to win the Central. You were not alone in that um, in that prediction. There were a number of other staff writers who did the same. They basically tied with. Well, they they received two fewer votes than the Brewers to win the division, but the same number of, of sort of overall playoff votes as the Brewers. So we we yeah. were voting yes to the Cardinals, which seems, you know, that seems right. I, as as your editor, did not pick them to win the division, but did pick them to take the, the first wild card. So um, you may end up uh, looking much smarter than I did, but we're, we're used to that. And right now we have we have them as slight favorites over the Cubs to take the Central, and we have them at, uh, with a sixty eight point one percent chance of making the playoffs just generally. So this is like a fun, exciting Cardinals team. They're doing quite well. It is, yeah. Before the season, I convinced myself that I was thinking about it logically because mm-hmm. I thought Paul Goldschmidt's projections might be low because Park Factors did not pick up the change to a humidor quickly enough last year, I don't think, in Arizona. Yeah. And so, you know, you project his stats in St. Louis and you might say, like, like if you're using some kind of like five year park factor, it's gonna look like you need to like regress them way more. And if what actually happened last year is that his park just like stopped being so pro offense and that he's maybe a better hitter than you think, 
then maybe his projections should be a little biased up. I thought Paul DeYoung was maybe a little low. So basically just most Pauls. I thought Zips <laughs> could maybe change a little on. Because uh, he broke his, I think his pinky last year. He had he had some injury. I don't recall yeah, exactly he broke what it was. A, a finger. I think it was yeah. his pinky. And he had just no power when he came back. Yeah. And so you could convince me that maybe he should hit for a little more power. I did not think he'd be third in baseball in war. Mm-hmm. That was a, that was a little bit of a surprise. But yeah, yeah they've they've surprised pleasantly. And you know, it started off looking like they would just give up a home run to Christian Yelich every day. <laughs> but they don't have to play him every day, so that's nice. That's true. They don't have to play him every day, and they certainly don't have to play him every time they play him at home, right? They don't always have to go to Milwaukee, which seems to be a not small part of uh, his success, not to take anything yeah. away from the season he's having, but he certainly he's well-suited for the ballpark in which he plays, which is uh, good news for him and bad news for your Redbirds, but generally um, I think you know we'll kind of come out in the wash when it's all said and done. And then, you know, so we've had we've had good Pauls, so good on those Pauls. We've had this great performance from Jordan Hicks. He's been quite good. And then uh what were your what were your expectations of of uh, Cardinals pitching coming into the year? So basically like what they're doing now except the opposite for almost everyone. <laughs> like the starters have been pretty bad this year. Yes. Uh, pr- pretty bad. It's been quite poor. You always kind of wonder with you know, the two best performers last year were Miles Michaelis, who is good in, I guess, let's say a non-traditional way. Mm-hmm. He doesn't strike anybody out, and that's basically it. Like, that's his thing. He doesn't strike anybody out, doesn't walk anybody, and it just works for him. And that always feels a little weird. Yes. Uh, he at least throws really hard, so right. that makes you feel a little better. But it's always it's a little nerve-wracking. And then, and, you know, Flaherty... Looked great last year, but he had kind of one year of track record. So I guess there were reasons to doubt the pitching coming into this year, but I don't think like this. So kind of the narrative with the Cardinals for the past few years has always been their hitting's okay, their bullpen is a disaster, and their starting pitching's great. And then this year, their hitting's great. Their bullpen's pretty good. I think if you look at the stats, you would not think they are. But they have some real blow-up performances in there. Alex sure. Reyes pitched badly enough that he immediately got sent down to the minors where he got put on the injured list for punching a wall with his hand. Yeah, he did, uh, do he did do that. So that's how bad he was pitching, badly. <laughs> and then there, were a, there was a week there where Andrew Miller just walked everyone. Yeah. But for the most part, if you watch a Cardinals game, it feels pretty comfortable when the bullpen gets in the game, <laughs> less so when the starters are there. And that is a, that's a new feeling. Yeah, we have uh, in terms of in terms of team stats right now. The Cardinals are second in baseball in offensive WAR, uh, behind only the Dodgers, who have Cody Bellinger, and so it, I think that difference might just be entirely Cody Bellinger. But they have the uh, seventh best team WRC plus, and the the margins here are quite small. After the Astros, who who lead baseball, you know they're they're uh, a point behind the Braves, who are a point behind the Twins and the Cubs, who are a point behind the Dodgers, who are three points behind the Mariners, who are starting to play like we expect them to. So good job, Mariners. It's nice when we can count on things. Um, so, so you know, the offense, as you said, is quite quite good. And then you go over to the pitching side, and and the rankings get um, significantly sadder. Second, they are they like the Angels have been good for exactly zero 
uh, wins above a replacement on the starter side. They still are ahead of the Orioles, uh, <laughs> but that is seemingly not company you want to be in uh, yeah. for a playoff team. Um, so that would be a thing I would be concerned about. You should probably write an article telling them that they should acquire some better pitching. Although some of this is a little bit of, uh, as you said, a couple of quite bad performances, but they have the third worst FIP. Uh, unsurprising given their ranking, but yeah, woof, woof. And then on the reliever side, we find them again close to, but not as close to the bottom of the rankings behind their their division mate Cubs at twenty four. So that seems like it probably needs to improve yeah. uh, for for them to be a playoff team. Although if they keep hitting, who who's to say? I will say this: if you told me going into the year that the worst Cardinals pitcher in terms, or the worst Cardinals reliever rather in terms of wins above replacement, would be Andrew Miller. I, I would not feel good about that. No. It bums me out because I am quite fond of Andrew Miller. Just I I appreciate his aesthetic, you know. Incredibly long-armed Yeah, Yeah, you know, he's quite a daddy long legs, quite spindly. And, you know, he did have that really just phenomenal run with Cleveland. And I had hoped that this year would be sort of something of a return to form um, after a year that was decimated by injury but yeah the wow i'm i'm just now um grappling with andrew miller's walk numbers this is very bad they're they're not what you'd like he's walking 28.6 oh wait that's his k percentage oh i was gonna say that yeah, right. Our <laughs> that, stats that was, are. I was like, I think our stats are broken. I was looking at the wrong column, listeners. It was my fault. But this is still a very bad number. He is walking sixteen point one percent of the batters he faces. That's that's far too high. Yeah, it is. It's a little bit better than it looks. In that he had a really bad like first five or so games of the season. Oh, so we should take a look at the splits, is Let's what you're see. saying. When you're when you're doing analysis, you're like, I'm not satisfied with that number. I gotta I gotta dig in on this. That's what you say, Ben. Yeah. So in his last <laughs> five games, he's walking, let's see, like 15% of batters? Okay, that's not uh, much better. That's not a lot better. <laughs> However, he is striking out like 40% of batters that in is, his last five games. So that that does- That's a rep- little better. Yeah, that does represent something of an improvement. But yeah, that coupled with, um, with these home run numbers seems- like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, the home run numbers, I think you can take with a grain of salt because sure, he because pitched a lot of these games in Miller Park where if you sneeze, it's a home run. Also because the ball is different. So yeah. Everyone's but it, giving up more home it's runs. It's not what you'd hope for from Miller. <laughs> I still feel good about him because he looks, he still looks exactly the same. Right. Like you see his slider and can't really hit it. it moves. Well, I sh- I certainly could not. Yeah, I'm approximating, but I think it breaks like four feet. Yeah, I mean the slider's still. Oh, that pitch has made me feel feelings in the past, at least. Yeah, I uh, well, I hope for your sake and for uh, Craig's sake and and for Andrew Miller's sake, to be clear, that some things improve for him, because uh, this doesn't look like the best. But maybe that five games, as you say, will be the start of a an upward trajectory that we can um, look back on and say, ah, oh, everybody gets a little roughed up in the beginning. Plus the ball is different now. Hmm. Yeah, can always hope. Uh, <laughs> hey, he got a save and everyone knows those are predictive. Yeah, definitely. They they absolutely are. What else about these uh, these Cardinals do you like? Or what do you hope they do differently? Um, it's so nice to dig in on a team. We so rarely do that on Fangraphs Audio, but 
you know, you get to know uh, what someone thinks about their favorite team. You get to know them a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I I think one thing that is just true of me and kind of true of the way I think about the Cardinals is that I'm pretty happy with them. Like, mm-hmm. I like the way they put the team together. I thought they were going about it the right way. They're pretty fun to watch. Like, Ozuna's very fun to watch. As long as you're just saying, ah, oh, this is a very long game. As long as he makes me entertained, I'm happy. Then he's great. You know, he might dive face first off a wall. He might hit a few home runs. You never know what you're going to get. It is a quite remarkable little little run he has been on. I wonder how you would feel about your own job performance if you were grappling with some of the extremes that he has had in in a couple of weeks because you know he he had this torrid offensive performance in that same week that he just um, embarrassed himself quite badly and I think he had a two plan or two that was a little bit embarrassing and do you think that he came out of that week thinking like overall I feel good about my job performance I think so um I don't think you know, gold glove aside, I don't think anyone's paying him for his outfield defense. No, no, especially sure after his uh, his shoulder injury last year. Yes, last fall actually. Do you remember there was a Red Sox fan that hit Stanton with a ball? I do remember that. I did some math on that, and it looked like that guy was probably throwing harder than Ozuna. Really. I mean, I recall that happening, and on the one hand, you're like, he's on the monster. And so he has the benefit of throwing downhill, essentially. Yeah. But he got that ball all the way to the infield. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was pretty impressive. I, yeah. I saw that throw and I thought, that's a real, like, maybe not a major league throw, but that's a college outfielder throw at least. Sure. And sure enough, you know, you plug it into a trajectory calculator and do a little trigonometry. And yeah, he threw it pretty hard. And Ozuna, on the other hand... Did not throw like a major league outfielder last year. No, he did not. He looks a little better this year. He got a cortisone shot, I believe, and and I think also had some kind of arthroscopic surgery in his shoulder in the offseason. But you know, for a guy who used to have supposedly one of the best arms in baseball, it's uh, yes. it's got to be quite a change for him. Yes, I, I can only imagine how that um, sort of sapping of, you know, all baseball players decline over time, but, you, you know, to suddenly go from one state of being to another, um, that dramatically has to be very disorienting. I know that when Jay looked at Ozuna uh, for a PC wrote, I guess... Was that just this week? That was just this week. Wow. Oh, the, uh, yeah, Ozuna driving pictures up the wall? Yes. Good, good, good. Yeah, good title. We can credit Jay for that because he had he had one before that I will say was not as good, and then he's like, "Come up with a better one," and I didn't have one, but then he had a better one. So you know, editing is a collaborative process that we all benefit from. But he seemed to find some some signs that perhaps the arm strength is coming back, as you say, and we could be a little bit optimistic on that score, even though it is not clearly quite where it was. But when you're hitting like this, I don't know how much you you being Marcelo Zuna in this case or the Cardinals could rightly care about it because he sure is um hitting the snot out of the ball which is also encouraging because you know you figure the arm strength stuff matters there too yeah so so that's good and your outfield just generally i'm i'm saying your outfield because you are still a fan (laughs) of the cardinals uh just generally is is performing uh, offensively quite a bit better than we had seen certainly last year so that has to be reassuring as a fan it is it's still really disappointing that they traded away tommy Pham. Yeah, what's up with that? You know, <laughs> can you speak on behalf of the Cardinals organization, please? I, I think they would probably say redo, redo. Yeah, C- well, can we get a redo. We, 
you know, everybody makes a trade or two that they want back. It could it Most could of be them are worse. with the Rays. Yes, yes. Although sometimes uh, sometimes the Padres get you good too. True. Yeah, you know, I'm sure that uh, there are some members of some organizations that want that Tatis trade back, if I had to hazard a guess. But anyhow, that's not the point of this. So yeah, getting rid of Tommy Pham, probably one they want back. But they are seeing good uh, production from that outfield just generally. So that has to be encouraging. uh, If you had told people before the year that you would look at the Cardinals outfielders and the worst performing starter would be Harrison Bader. Right. People would think that was really bad. Yeah. Cardinals fans were pretty negative on Ozuna and Fowler in the offseason. Uh, but yeah. instead, it's you know kind of happened uh, the way where you want. <laughs> yes, and indeed, if we if we are to look at your outfielders, again, they are yours. You have to claim them. <laughs> you know, there are a couple that are not quite to the qualified hitter threshold. But if we if we dock our minimum plate appearances to say fifty, they're all hitting well above average. Um, Ozuna has that lovely one fifty nine WRC plus, and Fowler, which I, I really think has to be the most encouraging bit of this whole deal, is up. It has a one thirty three, almost at a whole win on his own. Yeah, he has a lot of BABIP. Like yes, four oh seven. If Good that's a gravy. thing you can have a lot of, yes, he has the, a lot of it. Yes, the the BABIP is elevated there, and I would imagine what lovely clicking around um, people get to listen to us do on this podcast would imagine that that is um, oh yes quite a bit higher than his uh, career averages goodness I mean like if you take his BABIP last year and his BABIP this year you get so close to what he does normally (laughs) that that 210 was perhaps not representative of his talent but 407 probably isn't either but you know good for you Dexter that was a a hard I'm very happy for him yeah I can't say I think it's going to keep happening but no Probably not, but um, you know, make some. I think that um, we sometimes underestimate the degree to which people's impressions of a player season are really cemented for a lot of fans just in the first couple of weeks, and it doesn't. It takes a lot to alter the perception a fan has of a player if they just really stink it up in the first couple of weeks. I think. Yeah. I think it's hard for players to overcome that because you get a lot of people who check out or who don't uh, engage quite as as much in the you know dog days of summer and then might be surprised come playoff time like, oh, that guy ended up having a good year, but you just have this impression in your mind that he really was terrible, even if it's just you know a couple of weeks of performance. Yeah, I think it's kind of both ways, to be honest, because when you said that, it made me think of, I wonder how Tim Beckham's doing. Oh, yeah. And it's not as good. It's still good. It's fine. But <laughs> he's being buoyed by his his early season performance though. Yeah, I did yeah. not expect him to say be batting below 300. Yes. Yes, that has happened and let's see. Let's look at his I mean, he missed a little bit of time, so that's been a thing. It's just been much more hit or miss. He's had a he's had a number of hitless games. So that's been rough for yeah. him. But if you asked me, say, who are the 10 best hitters this year? Right. He'd still be on your list. He'd probably be on my list. And I, I'd be wrong. Yeah. But he'd be on there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think you're right. We So maybe maybe I should take back what I said earlier about loving writing this time of year because perhaps we are contributing to the problem. I mean, I enjoy writing it. I, <laughs> I think I'm okay contributing to problems as long as it makes me happy. 
<laughs> that's fine. Um, most of the time we, we are, uh, I think quicker, I hope to note early season success than we are early season failure because it's more fun that way. And I think we just assume that like, oh, this will all level out eventually. And we don't want to make anybody feel bad. I actually, I find it really hard to write X players doing bad stories. Yes. Like mostly because it's not fun. Yeah. But also because I feel like I'm less qualified, not less qualified, but less able to make it interesting. Yeah, I think that writing about bad players and bad teams is, I think it's very, I mean, it's not good in that it does make people feel badly, but uh, it makes uh, it makes players feel badly, probably. But I, I think it is um, a good challenge for writers to find an angle on something. But it is tricky, and I say this, and I know for a fact that one of our writers is looking into this in greater detail, so sorry for, for, for this. Uh, you're not a bad person. He just happens to be at the bottom of the, uh, the war leaderboards. But, like, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. is not playing particularly well. At the moment, indeed, of uh, qualified, you know, guys on their way to being qualified hitters, he's having the worst. Pretty bad year. Wow, an 18 WRC+. plus. I love doing podcasts because I get to uh, grapple with certain players' stats live in a way that I... uh, I don't always, you know, when I'm editing and kind of clicking around and trying to to keep the site running. Like I had this experience on Effectively Wild the other day. Have you have you checked in on what Trey Mancini is up to in in Baltimore? You checking out this Trey Mancini character? <laughs> yeah, I remember I wanted to write about how there was some chance Trey Mancini and Chris Davis were just one person and they'd switched jerseys basically last year. I would have let you write that article at Fangraphs this year, but it wouldn't have worked because they were both bad last year, huh? Yeah, it was basically uh, Trey Mancini was replacement level last year. Chris Davis could only hope to be that good. Uh, But yeah, Trey Mancini started off hitting amazing this year, and he's hitting amazingly this year, and he's really kept it up. Wow! By the way, Chris Davis has triple the WRC plus of Jackie Bradley Jr. Exactly triple. Oh no! And he he's famous for not hitting. Yeah, I mean, like had a whole streak where that was really all we talked about with him. Oh, that's concerning. I mean, like, neither of them have good numbers here. <laughs> no. We are getting excited about Chris Davis's 54 WRC+, plus, but Jackie Bradley Jr. is literally lower than 20. He's at 18, right? Isn't he at 18 here? Yeah, that's, that's not great. Jackie, that's not good at all. Oh, no. Well, I'm le- well, whatever. I'm not going to put store in early season defensive yeah. metrics. It doesn't matter. But I was going to say, at least he, you know, historically has been buoyed by a great defense. But right now, things are looking kind of grim. But I have a feeling that that's going to level out just fine. Oh, dear. Jackie, what's going on, bud? Mm. A 206 Woba. Oof. Yeah, it's, uh, he's he's had better seasons. <laughs> he certainly hasn't had worse seasons. That's a, that's a very generous way of... of of putting it but you know he's probably just been cursed by whatever powerful spirit has come to visit um death and destruction upon the red sox so all it's of the pro- red sox yeah. yeah it's probably not his fault at all actually he's just responding to uh curses what are you gonna do those are out of your control what has been the most surprising thing about the early season for you not just that you don't have to talk about the Cardinals anymore, although yeah. you're welcome to if that is uh, your answer. But what what has no. uh, been the most surprising thing to you? Does this mean like predictive surprising or just unlikely surprising? It could be either. So unlikely surprising is just the fact that every Yankee is hurt. Yeah. Probably the most notable thing. It's not really predictive, but it just jumps off the page that every Yankee you've ever heard of is hurt. And a lot of the Yankees you haven't heard of, who are the replacements for the ones you have heard of, 
also got hurt. Yeah. And that's pretty, like, I just don't remember seeing that in the baseball season before. In fact, I think Jay and Dan both wrote about it, even, Mm -hmm. because it's been so surprising. But I don't really think that's predictive of what's going forward, unless we've learned a lot about injuries in the past year. I think they're kind of just random. Right. The most surprising thing to me has really just been the Red Sox. Like, they're bad. Yeah, it's not good. They're just bad. Yeah. They don't even look, you know, unsustainably bad where you're outscoring your opponents by 30 runs and just getting unlucky. Like Jackie Bradley Jr. has apparently forgotten how to hit a little bit. Mm -hmm. Chris Sale doesn't throw hard anymore. No. It's very surprising to me because, I mean, if we look at these Fangraphs preseason projections, I doubt anyone picked either the Yankees or Red Sox to miss the playoffs. Uh, I don't think that our, I don't think that anyone on our staff did. Yeah. And in the Yankees case, eh, okay. You know, you can't predict that. But in the Red Sox case, I mean, has anyone been hurt even? Um, I don't think so. I don't think in a, in a notable way. Yeah. Um, of and course yet, there's going to be some Red Sox fan who's hearing this and going, but that guy. Right. If you told me the Red Sox are you know, several games below 500 and not playing well, this is May 2nd. Yeah. I'd think, oh, okay, you know, so Mookie Betts is hurt or Chris Sale is hurt. Right. Or potentially Mookie Betts and Chris Sale are hurt. Yeah. And that's not really what's happening. Yeah. They're batting pretty badly. 89 WRC plus for the team in the American League, so pitchers don't have to hit. It's Yeah. I just never would have expected that. Yeah, it is a fairly shocking it is a fairly shocking thing. I don't think we had anyone in our staff predictions who had Boston or New York missing entirely. I mean, we probably had one, maybe. How would you have predicted it? Like, right. I don't think there was anything that could have told you this was happening. Right. Yeah, it's um it's a quite it's quite a fix that they find themselves in because they think you're right to say that there has not been, you know, this is not something where it's like, oh, and now Chris Sale uh, needs Tommy John, right? It's not like he blew out his elbow. And so yeah. we just know that this is the problem. Uh, you look at him and you're like, so what's wrong with you though? Why are you throwing so much softer? It's really bad. People are timing stuff up pretty easily. So yeah. And especially their bullpen has been good. <laughs> if there's right. one thing you'd worry about with the Red Sox coming to the year, it was that they replaced Craig Kimbrell with essentially prayer. Right. Yeah. They were doing this funny thing where they're like, well, we have these guys that are good. And we're like, but you had those guys last year and then you lost this other guy and that other guy didn't get replaced. So how, how's that going to work? And they, uh, they didn't have an answer that they were really willing to tell us. And then, um, you know, I think that it's the sort of thing where if, you know, if they had a better record, we would be getting grief or more grief from right. from Red Sox fans. But you can't be sassy about that bullpen when the team is performing the way that they are. I mean, they are, um, and again, these these are these are sort of small differences. The Rays have the the best bullpen in baseball by our war. The Red Sox are there are some some ties above them, so they they've been worth almost a win. And you know, it's not it's not phenomenal, but it isn't it isn't horrifying either. I mean, they are sitting. Like you know, fourteenth in FIP, so it's like it's it's been fine, and we thought it was going to be trash. Yeah, and so that's good. Dead, everything else has been bad. That yeah. was that's just very hard for me to wrap my head around. Yeah, I I do sometimes wonder. You know, I think that the 
like the the Yankees are an interesting case because they did assemble depth that is allowing them to weather this, and we can contrast them with some with a team like say Cleveland, um, which had very little depth to speak of, and then everyone has been hurt or bad, and now they are looking up at the Twins in the standings, which you know, feels like a hard lesson for, for Cleveland fans to have to learn because they're not the ones that didn't, you know, reinforce their team in the offseason. They just want to watch some baseball. But then you have a team like the Red Sox where you're like, this should be pretty good. What's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah. It's um <sighs> I guess the least surprising thing has been that there's some controversy around the way the Mets use their bullpen. Oh yes. That has well, been my favorite thing though. <sighs> so I had the great pleasure of watching Edwin Diaz pitch his great season for the Mariners. I mean, other people got to watch it too, but I was very invested in it as a still mostly Mariners fan and also as someone who lives on the West Coast. So, you know, often the Mariners are the the team that's on. And um, it has been surprising. His usage has been surprising. Familia's usage has been surprising. The strictness with which they seem committed to, you know, sort of adhering to traditional bullpen roles has been surprising. So there have definitely been moments where you're like, this is a very high leverage moment, perhaps the highest leverage moment, and Edwin Diaz is nowhere to be found. Yeah. And that seems silly. One thing I'll miss about living in New York is how just kind of fatalistic Mets fans are. Yes. It's, it was really fun. Um, yes. <laughs> Because the Mets have been, they've been bad the last two years, but they were good the two years before that. They've yeah. been pretty fun to watch overall. Have Mets recently been, have recently been to a, uh, to a World Series. World Series and a separate NLCS, I think. Yeah, quite recently. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've never gotten to root for the team I like best in the World Series. Not even one time. <laughs> well, this will be a pretty large digression, but I guess it kind of loops back around to the start. I went to the 2004 World Series Okay. when I was in college. That was the first time I'd had a chance to root for the team I root for in the World Series. Sure. That was the uh, the Red Sox sweep of the Cardinals. Yes. I drove a good 12 hours directly from college with my dad to get there. <laughs> While we were in the car, we listened to game three on the radio where the Cardinals lost. And we thought, hmm, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't really know if I want to go to game four down three nothing in this series. But we have the tickets, so I guess we're going. That was not my favorite baseball experience ever. Uh, didn't feel close the whole game. The Red Sox were up the whole game. They filmed Fever Pitch on the field. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Yeah, it was. Uh, it was not great. Uh, oh dear. So there, are, there are downsides of watching the team you root for in the World Series as well, though it is obviously overall great. Well, and I have to imagine that it feel it must feel very strange to have everyone who is sort of a disinterested fan ganging up on the other team's side, right? Like I rooted yeah. for I rooted for the Red Sox in that series, right? You know, uh, and so it has to feel very strange to be like, hey, I'm just sitting here like trying to enjoy my baseball team, and everyone's like, go Red Sox. Yeah, I think you run into this some as a Cardinals fan. Sure. Especially in the NL, because I don't know, the Cardinals are always in the playoffs in the NL. It's kind of boring. Right, right. And so you watch most series that they play in, and if you're a neutral fan, you're probably rooting for the other team. Sure. And it's especially true because the teams that people have all bandwagoned to root for have been the teams that are the Cardinals' biggest rivals, basically. Right. You know, the Red Sox have played the Cardinals in the World Series a lot, and they've beaten them twice in the World Series. 
like this millennium. The Cubs beat the Cardinals in the playoffs and then won the World Series. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's just those weren't the same year, but they were both, sure. you know, both times where if you're a Cardinals fan, you probably aren't rooting for the Cubs and everyone else is. Right. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I guess the one thing that even makes that feel weirder is that now with the benefit of, you know, hindsight, I don't think there are nearly as many neutral fans rooting for the Red Sox. No. And so you look back and you're like, how could this have happened? Of course we played them the one time when everyone rooted for them. Yeah, I don't want to disparage the city of Boston or the people who live there or the Red Sox. But I think that you are right to say without ascribing a particular experience of uh, bad fan behavior to them, perhaps, that the tide has turned uh, and that the sentiment has changed around, you know, unaffiliated fans deciding to bandwagon the the Red Sox. I think that we have we've come to see them as a team that wins far too often for them to garner that sympathy. That's the new yeah, way of describing. Less. Like they uh, lost their underdog status i guess it's right. fair to say yes yes that's a way for us to say it without bothering anyone you're no longer underdogs although in this particular moment you know they could be uh they could be winning more than they are and they aren't and that is why uh the tampa bay rays remain atop the al east standings it's very confusing <sighs> must be exciting for jeff must be must be what other what other surprising things have struck you about this about this year baseball season that we're enjoying? So I guess Bellinger being good is not surprising. Yeah. But Bellinger not striking out is pretty surprising to me. Yeah. The particular way in which Cody Bellinger is being good is uh is I think representative of a change in Cody Bellinger. Yeah, like I I have no trouble imagining Cody Bellinger as a all star player, an MVP kind of guy. Yeah. I have a lot of trouble imagining him striking out 12% of the time. Right. Because I've watched Cody Bellinger play baseball before. Yeah. And that's just, you know, he never struck out this infrequently in the minor leagues. No. And so that, that's that been pretty, like, surprising to watch. Yeah. I mean, when you look at Dodgers hitters just generally, they have a type that they cultivate, right, that their player development staff helps to cultivate and it tends to involve a fair amount of swing and miss in the profile and then cody bellinger said well what if i just walked more and struck out less and then baseball was like well you might be the mvp and uh, that's where we're kind of at with him i mean it's only been a month but he is practically again it has only been a month and this will move around but he has practically matched his war from last season in 32 games Wow, yeah. I love podcasting and getting to interact with Stats Live. What a fun, what a fun <laughs> trick. That's wild. Cody, look at you. Look yeah, at you go. Yeah, one thing that, uh, that I always get frustrated about when I'm doing analysis is you look at somebody and you're like, oh, what did they change? Right. And it's not interesting if they just, you know, swing at strikes more often and swing at balls less often and strike out less and walk more. Because, I mean, it can be interesting if it's Mike Trout. Sure. Basically, only if it's him. Because it's just great that he's so much better than everyone else. Yeah. But that it's not fun. very interesting if you're if you're trying to write a story to tell people a thing. You want that thing to be, you know, oh, Juan Soto learned not to swing at breaking balls because he's not right. good at hitting them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Or, you know, just to come up with something off the top of my head, maybe Ronald Acuna got better at swinging at first pitches more because he knows, he knows that that's a time he can take advantage of pitchers' tendencies. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Cody Bellinger is just better at seeing balls and strikes. Well, yep. I, I don't know. Like, is that a compelling story? If you're a Dodgers fan, it is. Sure. Yeah. But he is just, he's 
shockingly better at everything. Yeah, and I just, he is one of those guys who, I mean, like I talked about how in the first month you kind of get a you get a mental image, uh, an understanding of a player, and sometimes it can be difficult to shake. I think that postseasons can provide that also, and I just have this very strong memory of him in that first World Series he was in. Completely unable to hit a curveball? Couldn't do it, right? And just like flummoxed in a way that was quite predictable. And, you know, after a while, you, you were just seeing him struggle he's getting stuff to the back foot and just swinging over it every time and now he doesn't do that (laughs) yeah i imagine if you're say a red sox fan or just an al fan in general yes you'd be looking at this year and just thinking like what is what is happening like yasmani grandal is good yeah cody bellinger is good yeah yeah justin turner has no power yeah i don't remember any of these things yeah we don't we don't we don't understand these Dodgers. It's like say say more about these these Dodgers though. So I think that um yeah, Bellinger has been Bellinger has been quite fun. Although I hope that someone um helps him tidy up his beard cuz it's quite bad. It's a bad beard. I mentioned to my wife that Cody Bellinger was doing really well. And yeah. she said, "Oh, the guy with the bad beard?" <gasps> and See, you picked a good one. That it's tells not, you, yeah. It's not good. It's a quite it's a quite bad beard. But I imagine he's just going to stick with it now. Well, you kind of have to, right? Right. He's going to have to stick with it because uh, he's he, he's committed. He can't not. So as a person who watches baseball but is also a fan of baseball, do you want him to have a slump so that he changes his beard? No, I would prefer to have him be godlike the whole because uh, it's sort of like uh, babies and puppies, right? There comes a point where you enjoy them being ugly because uh, it's just it's just a funny thing to look at. And so there there is something weird and incongruous about someone who is so good at baseball but unable to properly discern that that particular aesthetic is not working for him. And it's not that a beard can't work for Cody Bellinger. It's just that it's quite sloppy and he should trim it up a little bit. You know, today, in today's baseball, which will be yesterday's baseball by the time people listen to this, you know, Noah Syndergaard had been affecting an aesthetic that I have described to friends as like, when you see another friend looking like that, you're like, oh, are they going through something? Like, are they something up? You know, are they not okay? And then today he had gotten rid of the beard and he had just let the hair down and trimmed it up a bit. And so he was without them really at times he was working with two separate man buns and now that is gone. And he pitched one of the best starts we've seen so far this season and hit a home run. And so I like that he made the change and then had positive reinforcement. Got rewarded for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I find that that is very unusual for baseball players because they tend to um, be quite resistant to change. And as you said, they will require a slump before they take any action. But Syndergaard was just probably like, I'm tired of this stuff on my face. So I'm not rooting for a slump, but I am I am rooting perhaps for Cody Bellinger to have some courage and some conviction in his own talent that he does not need to affect this look in order for him to play like the at the moment, uh, just like the best position player in baseball. And it isn't especially close. I mean, it is quite early and, you know, there are big bans on war and everything. But like, um, you know, he's comfortably the best player in baseball right now. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I think I'd still, if you gave me even odds, take Trout to pass him. Sure, I think yeah. I'd take Gelich to pass him even. Mm-hmm. But it is pretty impressive yeah. how well he's done so far. Yeah. 
I mean, I think you bet on Mike Trout until you have a couple years of uh, reasons to bet the field, uh, and he has not provided us with those. But yeah, he's, you know, he's doing quite well. I am conscious of the fact that I have to go do some editing, and I'm conscious of the fact that you might have to do some move-related thing. Some so, move-related thing, some writing. Yeah, and, and, and also that. And so I'm going to say that I think this went quite well and that you should definitely come back on Fangrass Audio again at some point in the future. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us today, Ben. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me.